welcome to the Grit, Grace, and Mindfulness podcast. Y'all know about grit and grace, but what about this thing called mindfulness, and how does it transfer to wellness, health, and spirituality? I'm your host and life coach, Rachel Arnold, and here on this podcast, you can be part of discussions that include laughter, tears, challenges, and hope. They all guide us to greater mindfulness by sharing your story. Let's begin. Well, hello, hello, all. I have a couple of stories to share with y'all today. And I I want to say thank you so much for those of you that have reached out to me over the past couple of weeks, asking questions, how did you know, the signs that you're looking for, what was wrong, what made you go to the ER in the first place? How did your diagnosis come about? So we are going to get to that story. First, I have a completely different story to share with you. And while I'm sharing this with you, you're probably going to be thinking, what does this have to do (laughs) with her diagnosis? And it has to do everything with the journey over the past three years. So today, there's actually two stories that I'm going to share with you. I want you to close your eyes. Unless, of course, you're driving or watching children. Well, that's that's something different altogether. But if you're able to, just close your eyes for just a couple of minutes. I want you to picture your most perfect evening. Is it a beach at a sunset? Is it overlooking a river, mountain view, some tropical island soaking in the most amazing massage ever? So my most perfect evening one of them. Thankfully, there have been many moments that I've considered to be just absolutely incredible. But one of my favorite evenings of all time was September 1st, 2007. And I was at Red Rocks in Morrison, Colorado. Now, for those of you that do not know anything about Red Rocks, it is an all natural concert venue. Uh, They have Easter sunrise services there. There have been so many incredible jazz, blues, all kinds of concerts. Just go to Red Rocks, Morrison, Colorado, and you'll be able to pull it up. They have yoga there, but but basically it's an all natural venue. And it's set outside. You're, You're in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains with just these beautiful views all around you. So anyway, September 1st, 2007, that evening, it was a little brisk outside. And of course, once that sun sets and you're in the foothills, you're in the mountains, anybody that spent time in the mountains, you know, it becomes a little bit chilly. And in this particular evening, there was a full moon, clear sky, and it was rising just to the right of the stage. Now I was there that evening for a blues festival. And this wasn't just any blues festival. The one individual that walked out on the stage first, it was none other than James Etta Hawkins. Now in our world of music, we know her as the Etta James. And at that time, she was almost 70. She looked spectacular. And she also had a set of pipes to match the look. Of course, she sang her signature song, At Last, 
I'll spare you. I won't sing it for you. <laughs> Even though I can definitely sing that song so well in my car driving down the highway or when I'm in the shower. Yes, I absolutely sing that song at those times. Anyway, she made this song her own. So here's a little bit of trivia for y'all as well. That was not her song, but it became her song. It actually was originally uh, recorded by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Anyway, that particular evening, I just, I remember the song that she sang. I remember at one point she was standing to the stage a, a little bit closer to the right of the stage. These are so many moments that I am beyond grateful for. She was absolutely spectacular. Next on stage, are you ready for this? It was none other than Albert Green. Yes, Al Green. Of course, he was looking fabulous. He had on a tux. His band was incredible. Bands were on their feet. He was singing, let's stay together. I won't sing that as well. Um, but just song after song. He just had a, a, a phenomenal performance with his band. And then he exited the stage. And at this point, I'm patiently waiting. Mm, not really patiently waiting, actually. For the next and the last performer. And this particular individual, he was known, and, and he is known, let me rephrase that, he is known and will be known as one of the greatest blues men ever. The one and only Riley B. King. Of course, we know him as B.B., and there he was. He walked out on stage. And at this time, y'all, he was 81. So here he comes walking out on stage. He has his guitar, Lucille. I cannot even begin to put into words that adequately describe or portray the picture of him that evening, nor his set list. And I bring that up because before the concert that evening, I knew in my mind, I knew that evening, I was going to remember every single song that he sang. And I'm sharing this because I actually don't even remember one song that he sang. I remember Edda's. I remember Al Green, you know, his Let's Stay Together. And B.B., what I remember that evening was a story that he shared about himself. And that is what I want to tell you. He talked about a time when he was a little boy. Growing up in Mississippi, there was one particular evening. It was a hot, humid Mississippi evening sticky your skin is just so sticky because of the humidity BB as well as a couple of his friends walked into town and they walked over to this brick building and he said that he and his buddies sat down had his back against it and they were looking out across in into this park area and what do they see two water fountains 
and he'd seen them many times. But on this particular evening, there were two water fountains, one of them, of course, holding importance at that time, and the other fountain that also spewed forth thirst-quenching water was labeled and seen as lesser importance at that time. Whites only and colored. Bibi said that he just knew the water that quenched the thirst of the white folk was so much better, and he wanted to taste it. He waited until dusk, no one was around, and he took off running toward this fountain, knowing the dire consequences if he were caught. He tasted the water, and he ran back to sit down by his friends, and once again, his back was sitting there against a building, this brick. It was hot, humid, sweats running down his face. At this point, I'm sure his heart was racing because of what could have happened if he were caught. And he said that he just sat there in silence. All three of them did for just a few minutes. And he realized that the water within was the same. They both provided life from within. I'm pausing here because I want you to just take that in, that they both provided life from within. Now I'm going to share some details surrounding my diagnosis in the previous months leading up to my ER visit and my diagnosis on January 15th, 2019. Uh, before January, I would say maybe October, November, for sure by November, I had pain in my forearm and my left arm. It was on a regular basis. It would just kind of come and go. Now, when I say pain in my left arm, I don't mean pain is in the muscle. It was actually in the bone. So pain was actually in the bone of my left arm. Um, later on in December, I also started feeling a pain in a in a bone that was in my chest and then by Christmas vacation I was out in Colorado and I started having some pretty significant nosebleeds now nosebleeds have been a part of my life since I was a kid they're, they're nothing new but these were very different the nosebleeds sometimes I was having three a day and pretty significant in time and where I'm just standing over a sink and and I'm just having to go through the motions and praying I don't have to go to the ER <clears throat> and of course I know some of you might be thinking well but that's because you were in Colorado elevation anybody would think that but here's the thing I lived in Colorado for so many years I've been in Colorado since my 20s my mid-20s so I was absolutely used to the elevation. I would be outside hiking. I was skiing. And then, of course, since I moved back to the Midwest, I've always been back out in Colorado on a regular basis. So this was very different. And this was when I was there during Christmas through, through New Year's that weekend from 2000, you know, 2018, just that last week there and the beginning of January. Um these these nosebleeds were daily so I come back I start school 
And I'm telling you all of this because these are all signs here. And we have choices. And we all know we, we have intuition, we have gut feelings for a reason. God gives that to us as a gift. These are warning signs. And we have the choice to either pay attention to them and act on them or to ignore them and just dismiss or make excuses. And that's exactly what I did, the, the latter part that is. So at first in November, when I was noticing that pain in my left arm that would come and go, you know, teaching full time, carrying around a backpack for my students, things like that, carrying my things. I just thought, oh, it's the way I'm carrying my backpack. And I usually will throw my backpack over my left shoulder. So I thought, you know, maybe I'm just doing something, even though it was my forearm, the lower part of my arm, I still made the excuse that it was just the way I was picking up my backpack. Then the pain, the bone in my chest, that was the very first time that ever happened as well, more significant. And I thought, that's odd. I need to see about that eventually. But I never made a phone call. And then Christmas, of course, with the nosebleeds. And that was a whole other ball game. I come back. And at that time, I was also teaching ski lessons. So I used to teach ski lessons on Saturdays and Sundays. So I would teach during the school week for the school district. And then on the weekends, I would teach Saturdays and Sundays, I worked a double shift Saturday. And then on Sundays, I worked just one shift. And it was awesome, because um, whenever I would have my cubs with me, then on a lot of Sundays, they would be with me for that short duration of that shift, which was four hours. And that is how my cubs learned to ski. So I became a ski instructor, so that my cubs could be with me and they would be able to learn. And of course, they were there working with other ski instructors. It was amazing. So this was my third year that I was teaching. And this was at Hidden Valley here in St. Louis. And it's a hidden little gem. So if any of you are close to the St. Louis area and you're thinking, she's in the Midwest, I wonder what ski resort that was. (laughs) This is a little plug for Hidden Valley. So this coming, this coming season, if you've never been skiing, ski instructors there are fantastic, level one, two, three certified. And and it's a great little uh, area to learn on. It's a fan, it's a fantastic little gem that we have here in the St. Louis area. I call it the hidden gem. So anyway, this particular weekend, and I believe that was what, January 12th, and it was on a Saturday, I was working a double shift, I was there. And during that day, I felt that pain in my bone in my chest, it was more significant. And it was two or three times that day. And at first, I thought, Oh, maybe it's where I'm, you know, I'm carrying the skis. Because depending upon the students I worked with, because I taught ski lessons for children, preschool through adult. So of course, with the younger ones, you're helping them getting skis on you're you're doing boots, but you also when they're learning, you're also carrying skis up the ramp whenever whenever they go up to ski down the little bunny slope again, the little green there where we teach them, you're carrying their skis, you, you don't want skis on during that time, or at least one of them you always want them to take off so that they don't slide back down because sometimes that gets really icy. So anyway, as I was carrying skis that day, I noticed the pain in my chest more so more significant. Well, that evening, I decided to go to the ER. And I go in now when you go into the ER, and you tell them that you're having a pain in your chest, you are seeing 
immediately. Y'all, I don't even know if I had to take, you know, my coat off. I don't even know if I got it off before I was seen. The next thing I know, I'm having the everything hooked up to me, the little things on my chest, they're they're doing full blood work, which was awesome. I'm so thankful, beyond grateful for blood for the labs that they did. The 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 blood draw that they did, beyond grateful. That's how I found out. And I kept telling them though as they were hooking me up and they went, they did an EKG that evening, I said, "It's not I, it's not my heart. I'm not having a heart attack." And the, the nurses, they were awesome. They were diligent and they, they were adamant and said, but we still need to check just to make sure because you are having pain in your chest. We just want to make sure that everything is normal. Everything is fine and go from there. And it was, <clears throat> everything was completely fine with the EKG. Everything looked fantastic actually. So later on, I saw the ER doc did an exam and he said, well, he said this right here, that tenderness and that pain you're having. He said, we're, we're going to, say that is Costco chondritis, and I want you to follow up with your doctor that later later in the week. That Monday comes, I'm backing into my driveway, it's about 3.30 in the afternoon, and the ER doctor calls me. And he said, uh, I want you to know that your white blood count is a little bit high. And he went on to tell me that he wanted me to go to the Mercy Cancer Center the very next day. And I just kind of stopped and I thought, well, that's weird. Okay. And I'm because I'm thinking white blood count high, I'm still thinking, oh, it's just a simple infection. And that's all I thought. And even when you Google and you look up white blood count being high, there are four things that come up. White blood count is one of them. There's a couple of others. Leukemia also comes up. And when I was researching this, I just totally dismissed it, y'all. Even in that moment, he's telling me, I want you to have this checked out. Your white blood count is high. I'm sending you over to the Big C Center. And I'm just going to call it the Big C Center from this point going forward because I absolutely hate the word itself. Hate is a very strong word to use. I realize that. And at this time, that's, that's all I can do. I, I, I just call it the big C center. So anyway, <clears throat> the next day comes and I see the doctor there and the head doctor, uh, says to me when I go in for my appointment, I'm sitting there, he's got my labs pulling up my labs. Now y'all, there was a little bit of miscommunication <laughs> between the ER and the big C center, because the doctor turned around and said to me, well, you know, you have chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And I said, what? And I just sat there. And he said it again. And I said, actually, I have no idea that I had that. I said, this is the first that I'm even hearing of this. I, I don't even know what this means or what you're even talking about. I said, all I heard you say was the word leukemia. And I went on to say with tears at this point streaming down my face, I'm a single mom. I'm teaching full time and I'm working on my master's degree. 
he did say to me, and I am beyond grateful, he did say, continue being a mom and finish your master's degree. He did say that. During this appointment, the rest of it, I have no idea what was said. I do not remember anything that was said regarding my labs, regarding what the next steps were, except for making an appointment on my way out the door, because at this point, he ordered some CT scans. That particular week through that Saturday, uh, I was having CT scans of my head, my neck, chest, abdomen, pelvis. I, I, I don't even know what all I had done. It, it was just test after test after test and doctor and nurse and phone calls. When I get up there to check out, I make my appointment. And I remember that my appointment was probably a good week out, maybe even a week and a half, but it was for sure at least a week out. Driving home, I'm just a mess. I get home. I can't remember if Caden and Nava were here with me from school or or if if the if Brian had them and I don't remember any of that. But I get home and I just know that I had to lie down for a little bit and then reality it, it just I just started replaying everything and I started thinking about the doctor appointment being a week to a week and a half out. There was no way. But I wasn't even thinking about that at the doctor's office. I was just going through the motions of what needed to be what needed to be done. All I knew was I was making an appointment to be seen again for testing. And that was the first available that they had. When things start to calm down a little bit, and I'm home and I'm breathing. And I start thinking about everything. And when my appointment is, I call back the cancer center immediately, the big C center, call them back immediately, get a nurse on the phone. And she was wonderful because I said, I cannot wait a week or a week and a half. And she said, well, that's the only thing we have available. And I said, I know that there are so many locations. I will take anything. I don't care if I have to drive two hours. I need to be seen tomorrow. So not only... Uh, was that changed for the next day? She was amazing. She was on the phone with me, was able to be seen the very next day at a different location. I had other phone calls to make y'all. That was again, Mrs. Thibodeau that I worked with at that time. She was just an amazing mentor. And, and at that time, this was, uh, you know, we had become friends, very good friends, Kelsey that I worked with, Kristen, my supervisor. And there were two other very important individuals I had to call. And that was my girlfriends, Amberly and Candy. And I don't remember exactly what I said to any of them. But I do remember having an appointment, I believe the next day as well, I was coming back that Friday to have another a doctor appointment in the oncology office. Candy already had appointments scheduled at work that she was actually not able to move or get out of. Otherwise, she would have been with me that Friday as well. Amberly, the kiddos, all of our kiddos were going to be in school. And she was able to come with me that Friday. And the conversation with Amberly went something like this. (laughs) I'm going with you Friday. What time is the appointment? It wasn't even, well, Rachel, do you want me to go with you? No. 
she just was adamant that she was going. And I am so grateful. And again, I want to bring up the importance of being vulnerable, especially in these moments. When you have friends like this, be grateful for them. When you have friends like this, allow them in your life and to go through these journeys with you because you have no idea just that that Friday when that appointment came and we were in the doctor's office, she was there to take notes. She was there to help ask questions. Remember that we're only a couple days in, a few days in. I am still just going through the motions. I'm still mom at home. I'm also trying to figure out work. I can't remember if I went in for a couple of hours each day and then would leave to go get tests. I don't remember a lot from that week other than these specific moments with with doctors, with Amberly, Friday's doctor appointment. I will also, I want to bring this up as well. Friday was a different doctor that I saw than the one I saw Tuesday. I personally made that choice. When I called back, I switched my doctor appointment to a different doctor. And the reason why is that that Tuesday when I was in and I was given my diagnosis, I did not feel a connection with my doctor. When you are given a diagnosis, a chronic diagnosis, that means in chronic disease, I brought this up before, but just in case you're listening, and this is the first time you're hearing me say this, chronic disease means that you have been given a diagnosis that is going to last for at least three months. That's the, that's the pretty close to the actual definition, but it has to do with three months or longer. So at this point, uh, this is what I had been given. And, and I don't know if that connection was not there on Tuesday because I was just in complete shock. But it wasn't there. And that's okay. We're not going to connect with every single person that we come in contact with. That's okay. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. So you want to be around someone that that you can connect with. What is the energy level that you are giving? And what is the energy level that you are receiving from another individual? And it has to do with the vibrational level in which we operate. We each operate at different vibrational levels. This particular doctor that we met with on Friday, absolutely fantastic. We connected. The energy in the room was amazing. He was all about Team Arnold. It was absolutely fantastic. What's also interesting is that that Friday when we were in this particular room, Amberly is from Kentucky. And when we walked in, there is a picture hanging on the wall and it said Kentucky. And then it was a picture of a racehorse out in this field. And it was a picture of uh, the picture included. you, You could tell that it was dusk, the moon. It was just absolutely beautiful. I cannot tell you how many times over the past couple of years, well, three years, that I have gone back to the oncology center And I am placed in this particular room over and over and over. And when I walk in and I see this picture and it says Kentucky, it makes me think of the support that I had that week from my girlfriends, from my coworkers, from my church family. And definitely that moment, that Friday with Amberly and the doctor's office. Now, since then, 
of course, I, I have been very clear about the changes that I've made over time. One of those in the very beginning, it was sugar. I cut that out immediately. I have um, talked about Huberman Lab podcast. Dr. Huberman does a fantastic podcast on sugar and the dangers of it and the cravings. Please listen to that podcast. Actually, in the show notes, I've also attached a link for the Huberman Lab podcast. So over time, the destination, it's the journey itself. We have the choice to make changes. During this time, and when I was diagnosed, I I want to be very clear about this as well, I was stage zero. I have continued to remain stage zero but it's because of the choices that I've made over the past three and a half years. And some of them have been pretty significant, such as cutting out the sugar, such as going gluten-free. I'm going to cover those in more detail in a different podcast. But this one, I wanted to talk to you specifically about what is within us. What keeps us moving forward? The grit, the grace, the mindfulness that it takes. Whether you have experienced a little T trauma or a big T trauma and psychology today, there's an article that I also attached in uh, the show notes from psychology today. They go into a lot more detail with big T and little T traumas. I believe Kathy Heller has also, if you follow her podcast, I know that she's talked about big T and little T trauma. Uh, Dr. Huberman In a couple of his episodes, he also discusses trauma with a doctor. Dr. Huberman, by the way, is with Stanford University. His podcast, Huberman Lab, that is separate and apart from the work that he does at Stanford. And but it still contributes to health and wellness in general. It is absolutely fantastic. If you're not familiar, I encourage you to also go to his podcast and follow him. Phenomenal insight knowledge, things that you're able to implement day to day to have a better life, a better mindset, more choices. So anyway, when we go through these experiences, whether it's a little T trauma or a big T trauma, big T trauma, that's going to be death, sexual abuse, war, PTSD, little T's, those are uh, divorces, maybe there's an affair. Maybe you find out there was a lot more going on than what you actually believed. Maybe a long-time affair with an office manager, multiple prostitutes involved. Financial trouble, financial trouble also falls in the category of what we call a little T. And over the past couple of years, some of you have certainly seen, our country has seen more of that over the past couple of years regarding financial trouble. Conflict is another one conflict within you based upon habitual choices versus an awareness of something new that is known as cognitive dissonance so an awareness that occurs due to the practice of mindfulness so when we have this internal awareness going on where we have been making choices based out of habit versus an awareness where we're now being introduced to introduced to something new that is whenever you you really get into more of this practice of mindfulness. I want to talk about a particular quote, or I want I want to provide a particular quote for you. And for this week, it's regarding change and the importance of embracing 
and choosing growth. And it's by John C. Maxwell. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. You know, they say that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you do about it. It comes down to grit. You have to keep moving forward. Grace, what we provide for ourselves and others, and mindfulness. It begins from within. Your fullest life is provided from within. And it brings me back to that story with Riley B. King. He was sitting against the wall after he took that chance, knowing that there would be dire consequences, drinking from that water fountain that said, whites only. This is a little emotional for me because I'm just thinking about him sitting on that stage, being very vulnerable, letting us in to just a little peek of what he experienced as a child growing up. Change is constant. But the growth, it's optional. We have choices. It is within. He realized in that moment when he took that drink of water, it provided him with so much more than just a moment to quench his thirst. It gave him the realization that both of those water fountains, they were the exact same. They held the exact same thing within. And that's for each of us. It is within us. Grit, grace, and mindfulness. They're essential. Thank you so much for listening. I want you to please share, please download this podcast, especially if I have said something that has resonated with you. Uh, Message me, email me to know more about coaching programs that are available. And I also have to say a thank you, a huge thank you to a couple of individuals that, um, you know, this past Saturday evening, it included some fantastic live music, great conversation, And I can now be found on Telegram. I am wishing you a day filled with gratitude and growth. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast, y'all. If you would like to share your story, favorite quote or scripture, please DM me or take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on Instagram at gritgracemindfulness. You can also send an email to gritgracemindfulness at Gmail. Until next time, have an amazing week.